welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Much is being made of Mitt Romney's taxes. Did he pay his fair share or not? Perhaps the better measurement comes from Paul's letter to Timothy. Is he rich in good deeds? And is he generous and willing to share? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Generous Living with part two of a message entitled Generous Living in the Midst of Prosperity, which covers 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Thank you for joining us today. And this series that I'm in, entitled Generous Living, there are going to be six messages all in all. This is the second of six. There are five movies that that uh, cover the first five of those six weeks. If you are here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If not, I'll introduce it later. But we're in the text for these first three weeks of 2 Timothy chapter 6. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and be turning there with me. I'm inviting you, if you will, to memorize one verse per week. The longest, hardest one was this last week, verse 17. Now this week, let's do 18, and the following week, let's do verse 19. I'm coming off of a stated principle that I hope that you're familiar with by now. If you were here last week, if not, I'll introduce it again. This is a principle regarding generous living in the midst or as it relates to prosperity. And that's what these first three weeks is all about. It's generous living in the midst of prosperity. So here's the statement of principle. Generous living in the midst of prosperity is to recognize prosperity as a formidable threat to personal freedom. I'll pause there. This idea of, of uh, prosperity, there's nothing wrong with prosperity. You're going to hear me say that over and over because you're not going to hear me and believe me, but I truly mean this. There is nothing wrong with prosperity. It is dangerous, yes, But it doesn't mean we shouldn't experience it and have it. But it's to recognize that that prosperity is a formidable threat to personal freedom. Because the buy-in of most of us probably here, I do believe this, is that the more prosperity I get, the better off I am and the more freedom I enjoy. It's not true. If God is correct, that is not true. And he is correct. The teaching of God's word is truly to say it is not The blessing of blessings of blessings to get as much as you can get. It's not. And I covered that last week. And it goes on that generosity is its greatest ally. That is, generosity will help us in the midst of prosperity to keep the freedom that we really desire to have so badly. Last week, we talked about the dangers of prosperity, including pride and misplaced confidence. I'll read the text again in verse 17, just to bring us up to where we were last week. Command those who are rich in this present world. And we'll stop there. This is Paul as he's writing to Timothy, who is pastoring a church. And he's saying, I want you to command all the people of your congregation. So it'd be the same with us who are rich in this present world. But he does not say, get rid of your riches. You hear that? He does not say, I want everyone in voluntary poverty. He does not ask for that. He may call some into that, but that is not his call on all of us. But he says, look, if you are rich in this present world, know that that's not just money. You people, I know we all think money, 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 and we do need to address money. 
I mean, it's, it's probably the biggest indicator of all things in our spiritual journey. In many respects, it says a lot. If you can track the heart, what the heart's saying with the giving of money, it truly is. Because it, it says more than anything. But let me tell you, many of us are rich in intellectual ability. Many of us here would be rich in, in skills, abilities, all kind of physical skills and so forth, talents. And so, and it may be money. But he says, here's what I'm telling you. Do not be arrogant, nor to put your hope in wealth. That's what you don't want to do. It's very uncertain. We talked about that last week. But he says, the answer is to put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I think when we get that last phrase that we believe that God does provide everything for our enjoyment to be free in life, to enjoy life. I think we believe that we've really come to the crest of the hill. That's what we want to understand and embrace. Now, I'm going to say it again. Prosperity is not evil. It is dangerous. Skydiving is not evil. It is dangerous. Right? Cliff climbing. Is not evil. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. It is dangerous. Race car driving. It's not evil. But it's dangerous. And if we think, oh, these three things, you know, cliff diving, you know, diving or whatever it is, doesn't matter. It, it, it's all, it's all great and it's good and therefore there's no danger. Oh, no, no. That's the people that get destroyed. Last week, I came to this place and I said this morning, last week on Sunday... I was reading out of Phenolon. And I was reading this man from 400 plus years ago. And boy, did he nail the very text and everything I was talking about in such a clear way. I said, I got to read it. Well, sorry, folks, but I found another one this week. I was reading about Tuesday. I went, whoa, there it is again. And so follow along. He, he's teaching us something here that most people in their faith never believe and understand. It says the only good point of worldly prosperity, and I mean, that doesn't mean something evil or wrong. Worldly prosperity means the things of this world we prosper in, is one to which the world is blind. What is it? It's crosses. An elevated position does not save us from any of the ordinary afflictions common to men. Indeed, it has its own special trials. God turns the good things which the world covets into trouble and toil. Now, a lot of people won't believe that. A lot of our peers in the faith, they'll say, I don't know, God didn't do anything to give us trouble. He doesn't want us to have any trouble or toil. That's his goal is to keep us. The devil wants us to happen. He loses sometimes. Devil wins. Don't buy that trash. I mean, what does James say? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. You might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. He says, I love the use of crosses because that's the challenging thing that brings you to the place that you long to be. And he is our God longs us to find. He says, and God allows those whom he has raised to earthly grandeur, great prosperity, To be an example to others, we get to watch and say, look, they have more prosperity than a human could think about. Look how miserable they seem to be. Wow. It is his will to perfect their cross by concealing it beneath the most splendid worldly riches in order to show what little value there is in prosperity. Surely, 
It is a blessed thing to find one's purgatory in what seems a paradise to the worldly. He says, what a blessed thing for someone to understand that all of this stuff that it seems that the world says, oh, if I could be where you are, if I could have what you have, is really a purgatory. Just to know that, there's the safeguard. In seeking that false paradise, many too often forfeit the hope of true paradise after this Brief life ends. And I love the way he closes. He says, the one real treasure of great seeming prosperity is its hidden crosses. We don't want the crosses. We want the prosperity. But the, but the prosperity, the only good of it, he says, is the crosses themselves. Now we look at verse 18. So turn to verse 18. And now we're going to talk about the safeguards against dangers, against the dangers of prosperity. You know, I mentioned uh, cliff climbing. Let's just use it. Nothing evil, nothing wrong. It is dangerous. So what if, what if we said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go uh, climb that, uh, that cliff. Look at that, man. It's almost straight up. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Let's see if we can do it without ropes. Let's do it without any chalk. Let's see if we can make it. You're crazy. Those are our safeguards. We can do it, but we've got to have the safeguards. Well, God's word follows when he says, be careful of these riches. And he follows it and says, let me tell you what the safeguards are. And here's what they are. We find it in verse 18. It simply reads like this. Command them, again, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. There are two things here. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. He's saying, let your actions be your giving. You see, basically, there are two things we're going to see. Generosity and good deeds. And really, all can be summarized with the word give. The first expression of giving here, to do good and to be rich in good deeds, that's saying give through your actions. Just the way you live before people, the way you treat people, the way you honor people, the way you show character in their presence and love, all those things you're giving to people everywhere you go. So that's number one. Well, this series is on generosity, and that's the second thing that's mentioned here. Just simple generosity. So what exactly is this generous? This is be generous, be ready to share. Well, it really is the measure of great wealth is generosity. It's been said the measure of wealth is how much a person accumulates. No, it's not. The measure of wealth is by our generosity. And that generosity to really be measured, I mean carefully, is going to show best through sacrifice. It's a term we don't like. We don't like to think about. God loves it. God built an entire human relationship with himself around sacrifice. He loves the sacrifices that we offer to him. He loves to see us as we sacrifice for other people. Sacrifice is a huge part of it. That's why Jesus would talk about the widow's might in such glowing terms. Say, oh, this, this woman gave more than all the rest. Why? The deepest of sacrifice. People often say, well, you know, amount doesn't matter. What you give, how much, it's just the fact that it's from the heart. It really doesn't matter. You remember the book I mentioned I'd love for you to read called Plastic Donut? Jeff Anderson, who's the author, uses a great illustration I'll change it just a little bit, but it's the illustration of a, of a ring. Can you imagine, ladies, that you're getting engaged and your, your fiancé comes to you and says, 
who is very well-to-do, comes to you and says, will you marry me? You say yes, and he places a ring on your finger and you look down, and it is a piece of plastic junk. And you look down and say, what? He says, you know, the ring doesn't matter. It's what's in the heart. That's all that counts. And it'll remind you of this deep love. And, and you know, that, that's, that's no big deal. It's my love that counts. And she say, no, it's the love and the ring that counts, right? <laughs> give me a nice ring, as nice as you can give, because that will tell me a lot. Sure it does. Well, God loves the sacrifices of his people. And he is woven into the pattern of creation that as we give, we get. Jesus said it. Give and it shall be given to you. And even as Christians, don't we just tend to believe if I'll just hold on, I'll be better off. I want to close this teaching time before we move to the movie. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to just cover very quickly the three biblical recipients of our generosity. Where should our generosity be going? The first is what I'm going to call the legitimately under-resourced. Now, the Old Testament, interesting, it said in the Old Testament, Leviticus 15 and others, that, that there was to be harvest that was to be saved for the poor. And the way they did that is you had to have your property in, um, in squares. So much of our farming is in squares today and so forth, property is. But the idea here is that they were required to harvest in a circular manner. And it left the four corners, and in those four corners, the poor could come and take all that they needed. That was the way they looked after the poor in the Old Testament days. The legitimately under-resourced. You come to the Gospels. Jesus, Matthew 25. I mean, he underscores this big time. Not just there, but many places. But there he says this over and over and over. He says, give to the poor. Help those that are without. Those without the resources, give. And when you do, you're doing it to me. That's how important this is to me. Just view it that you're doing it to me because this is what I want more than anything else. Give. Help the poor. We come to the apostolic church in Acts chapter 4. Same thing. They come up with a welfare system and says, here's how this works. They're orphans and they're widows. Now, those are legitimately under-resourced people. We need to take care of them, so set up a welfare system that, that looks after their needs. The whole idea is take care of people if they have legitimate needs. Now, can we always know who have legitimate needs? No. I had a challenge last week. I left the church service and there was somebody in the parking lot. Did not know I was the pastor. I'm walking out and somebody grabs me and says, sir, can you help me? I said, what's your problem? And he points to a car way off, which gave me a little suspicion. That's my wife and, and children and so forth. And here's my story. No, it was a horrible situation. No one would want to live in what he declared. Now, was it true? I had some heavy suspicions. So I looked at him and I said, well, here's the deal. If it's a legitimate need, I'm all over it. You'll get everything you need. But if it's not, I'm not going to help you. I need to find out if it is it legitimate. Oh, trust me, trust me, it's legitimate. I said, it may be. I'm going to ask you some questions. And so I pushed and probed and asked some things and so forth and so on. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that it was not legitimate. I didn't know that it was, but I couldn't prove otherwise. Okay. You may have a legitimate need. Well, I certainly want to help if it is. But sometimes we don't know. I, maybe, I, maybe I hurt this fellow by giving him something that, that was causing a bigger problem. I don't know. But, but sometimes it's not easy. But most times we can tell where legitimate needs exist 
That's the first. Number two is extended family. One's extended family. Here's a text in 1 Timothy 5, just a chapter previous. He had said in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Very interesting. Now, what some people fail to realize here is that he is talking about an implied need, that they have need. Now, first and foremost, go to your family, take care of them. Now, we have some texts that are maybe raise questions. Proverbs 13. In verse 13, it talks about the fact that, that we should give to our children's children. Give an inheritance. Leave an inheritance. So there's nothing wrong with leaving an inheritance. I don't want anybody to hear me say that. But I think where we have gone today is so different than, than what is implied here. This is saying there'll be certain needs you know they have that they're going to have a hard time dealing with. And make sure that you can leave something to help them in that regard. But now what we're doing is just leaving incredible amounts of money. And we're inviting irresponsibility, doing a disservice that hurts people so often. I just heard a statistic. I can't remember. Just this week I heard it. It was, uh, it was children of, of um, the average age of a child who has a parent who is a multi-multimillionaire lives in their home until they're 35, I think it is. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> My question is, why did you leave at 35, you know? Man, oh, man. Well, the truth of it is we want for our children to be able to work and learn and struggle. And there's so much value in that. Well, I can remember Carol and, and I having discussions on many occasions about things that we could provide for our children. What parent doesn't want to give their children something they really want? There's nothing wrong with the thing they want. But there are times that we would say maybe it's best for them to learn to go without. Maybe this would be a better teaching for them than to, to tell them of our love for them by what we give them. Or maybe they need to work for it. Maybe they need to learn how to struggle to find a way to, you know, because that's going to be life for them for, for years and years to come. And another issue we do have to look at is the stewardship of our children. We can leave the money that we would have stewarded well and giving to the right causes, and they may, they may use it otherwise. As one person has said, do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> a lot of truth to that. So extended family. The last of the three would be the local storehouse. Now, the Old Testament referred to the storehouse, used that term, for the temple. And this was the Old Testament tithe. There was a, a regulation given that a 10%, and there were many multiple tithes, but the main tithe went to the temple. Now, what meant there is that that way there was not the choice of who we give to, and I'll just give to these poor people instead. No, 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 you can do that. But you give to the temple, and therefore you get the, the sense that you're really giving to the Lord, and you're not just being able to purchase opportunities to give. So there was a sense in which there was no comeback to say, thank you, look what you did for me personally, because you gave to the priest, and they distributed the goods. Well, that was really not a gift. That was, that was a tie. That was a requirement. We come to the New Testament, and we don't see the word tithe coming up except on one or two occasions where it's just referring to it we do believe that anything in the old testament that is not specifically eliminated is to continue throughout so we don't disregard the tithe today 
But you don't see much in the scripture. Everything now, it's totally different. The now, there's a new standard. And, and, and the standard is really as you prosper. If you even want to call that a standard. I mean, look through the scriptures. You see a lot of illustrations of giving and all. But you, you see the, the widow, she gave it all, right? And that was not for everybody. You see Zacchaeus. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? He gave, he gave half but he, the Bible didn't say everybody's got to give half. You know, the only people that we saw who gave the tithe were the Pharisees. They're not our standard and model for sure. So now we're seeing this whole idea of give as you prosper. And that's different. Again, I love the way, um, I love the way uh, in, in the book Plastic Donut, use the illustration of, uh, of any of us that, that have got a gift coming to us. What do we want from that? We don't want the same gift from every person. Okay, it's birthday. Thank you for the red tie. 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 No, the idea is that this little child's going to give me a gift and it's something they made and it must, it might cost nothing. They just made an arts and craft to hand to me. And somebody else says, here's a tie. Not to me, but to somebody like me, I don't use ties, but it's something different. And, and it's the, the delight of saying it's special. It's according to your interest and desire and what you want to give me and so forth. That's the delight of our father. So we should be, what was the tithe? It was a place for, the, for those that are just understanding only that this is a foundation. Give. And it's beyond. Today, we've got a mindset that if I'm tithing, Man, I've hit the ultimate. I'm actually a tither. Most people don't tithe. Scripture would say, oh, that's the foundation. It's over and beyond. That's why you've heard through the years, if you've been in church, giving of our tithes and offerings. It's like the tithe is the standard. That's kind of, but it's beyond. That's where we prosper. So it's, now you might hear me sharing all of this and think I'm just calling for more money. I don't care if you want to think that. It's not true. I, as the leadership of this church, want something for you, not something from you. And when you give and you become generous, you get free. And so many of us are not buying it. And we're thinking, if I can only get more, don't think how much can I accumulate. Think how much can I give? God, what do you want? God said, I don't want you to give everything away. I want you to be able to live here and to do that. I want you to be able, but, but I want you to give and I want you to, I want it to be meaningful because the amount does matter. There's something to that. And it says something, give, but just kind of follow me, go through a journey, find out what you want from me, uh, what I want for you. And then, and then just do accordingly. And I'm going to be so honored and pleased. I bet he doesn't call one of us into voluntary poverty, but he'll call us into a release of joy that you've rarely experienced. We should think of it not as paying bills, but as sowing seeds. Ah, so somebody, okay, hold on here, Randy. Well, this is motivation. I know you give and it shall be given. Well, I don't think that's a good motivation. I think that if you really are right, you give because, well, hold on. I'm a grandfather. We have nine little grandchildren. And the oldest just turned five. So they're just little tiny rats. They're little, little things, you know. <laughs> I wasn't going to use that word. I used that Saturday night when my daughter said, so you think they're rats? Is that your few of my kids? Well, well, they're little. They just kind of, they don't know, they don't know who Pops or CC is. 
Not really. And so what do I want to do? I want to give them every, I don't want them to see me frowning. I want to see them smiling. I don't want to hear a mean voice. I want them to hear a, because that's the only way they know me. My grandfather used to come to town. I love, I couldn't wait till my grandfather came to town because my parents never gave us money. <laughs> my parents just didn't get money. And so I would love money. And my grandfather, he'd walk up to me and he'd say, he'd just barely get out of the car. He'd see me and look over my parents. He'd say, here, boy. He'd hand me a $10 bill. I said, man, that is a five-year salary right there. <laughs> that is so cool. So I love for my grandfather to come. You know what? As I get older and I get to know the character and heart of a grandfather that loves me, I'm not, I want to see you because of the five. But God says, look, I'm going to prosper you. And often I'll give you an abundance. I was talking to one of our elders who said, you know, I came to this church 20-something years ago. I was in my 20s. And when I got here the first week, you were in one of these five-year deals like we're doing now. And I went on the journey. And God led us to give an enormous amount of money. I didn't know how we'd do it. It was a third of our salary. And I couldn't believe God led us to that. And I did it. And let me tell you, and he told the story of how he had no income expectation to go up. And that year, he made three to four times what he could have ever imagined when he made the pledge. I bet that's not happening to him now. But it was happening then because he learned the father and said, Oh, look, God, you do give when I give. And that's cool. And the motivation, okay, I'm But that pretty much drifts away in time. And it's, Lord, I want to give to you because I love you and I know your marvelous works. Whether you give back to me or not is not even the issue. Now, having shared all that, let me just say, the safeguard generosity. Learn generosity. And watch the freedom that comes with it. I'm going to invite us now to pause as we take our offering as we do each week now. To watch a movie. As you give your gifts, I want you to be observing your heart because that's going to be the issue. The heart. Ask yourself, what am I giving? Why did I choose to give that? And here's the better question How do I feel about the gift that I'm making? And this becomes a laboratory for five weeks, six weeks, a little laboratory. And we watch our heart and see if it begins to change. The instruction that comes through the movie will bless you. Again, if you weren't here, and I'll say this for the last time this week, but many of you were not here, but know this, that, that uh, this little movie is designed to tell a story, and this is a story of you and me. We'll see ourselves somewhere in this movie, I predict. And uh, this, is a, a, this is a gift that's going to go to the world. You watch what happens with these series of movies. But this episode that we're about to look at is called Defense. Last week, if you weren't with us, we were left with the primary character. Name is Frank, Frank Donovan. Frank Donovan ended this particular episode with a sense of guilt because he realized he was not a generous person. He had no idea how much he didn't realize about his lack of generosity, which you're going to see this week. Many of us are going to see our hearts in a deeper manner. He learned it to begin with. Through his son, Evan, who through a relationship with Ray, who is the gardener, taught him an interesting thing about giving. When he drew two sheep, one a healthy sheep and one a very sick, what he called a stinky sheep. 
And he says, we always want to give the best. That's the way of God. And then Frank watches his son give away his favorite of all toys because of a child who had nothing. And he realized, oh, look at me. We pick up there, give attention to the screen, and enjoy it. Give me something to work with here. I don't know what to tell you. These are some serious charges. Look, we're willing to plead down to six counts of possession with the intent to improperly distribute. Possession? No, no way. I don't do drugs. Drugs? Frank Donovan, these are very serious charges leveled against you. You're charged with loving money more than God. How do you plead? Not guilty. What is she talking about? Um... Your Honor, may I have a moment to confer with my client, please? If you must. But you know I don't care for stalling, Mr. Williams. Of, of course, Your Honor. Look, brother, you need to get in the game here. What's all this loving money more than God stuff? That's what I've been trying to tell you. They're saying that you love the bread more than the baker. That's ridiculous. Of course I love God more than money. I hope so. They're calling the first witness. Your Honor, the prosecution calls Frank's money to the stand. <laughs> Hey, man. It's your dream. Please, sir, state your name. I am Frank's money. How would you describe your relationship with the defendant, Mr. Money? Well, we have an extremely positive relationship. I take good care of Frank. But, of course, he's the boss. So you two are close? Oh, of course. Frank and I, we talk about everything. The future, our goals and dreams, where we want a vacation next, you name it. Mr. Money... Have you ever seen Frank seek advice in your relationship? Sure. He seeks advice from his financial planner, Alan, all the time. Not to mention the various websites and analyst reports. And based on that advice, he controls me, cares for me, utilizes me as he sees fit. I certainly have no complaints. Thank you. Uh, I do have one more question for you. Have you ever seen the defendant seek advice from God in your relationship? that I can recall, but you'd really have to ask him. He sends me to church every once in a while, but as far as I know, Frank's the one calling the shots. I don't get the impression he's really into that sort of thing. The prosecution rests, Ronnie? Hold on a second. I'm good with my money. I I give a lot. Mr. Donovan, I will have order in my court. Easy, brother. What about the giving? Um, Your Honor, Frank's money is clearly a biased witness. Uh, Money's been testifying against people since the beginning of time. We would like to let Frank's generosity speak for itself. I'd like to call Frank's giving to the stand. You thought this would help? State your name for the record, sir. I am Frank's giving. Hmm. Mr. Giving, uh, is it true that my client gives a portion of his finances, well, 
you away? Yes, every month. And could you please describe this activity to the court? I go to his church and various fundraisers. Frequently? Sure. So as you can see by this testimony, Your Honor, despite what money may say, my client faithfully sacrifices a portion of his income to give to others. Mr. Giving, the defense just made a claim that the defendant sacrifices a portion of his assets. Would you say that is accurate? I... Let me remind you, you are under oath. Well, uh, it depends on how you define sacrifice. Okay. How would you define it in the context of the defendant's use of you? Not sacrificing. Would it not, in fact, be more accurate to say that Frank Donovan views money as a tool for comfort and security, that he calls the shots, that he loves and even serves money, that true, generous living is a concept that is completely foreign to him? Never mind. No further questions? Thank you, Mr. Giving. Your testimony has been most enlightening. You may step down, sir. You should have played guilty. Could have been worse. Your Honor, I would like to call a rebuttal witness. We've heard from the defense's giving. The prosecution would now like to call the other 90%. What's up, Brian? That plea bargain's still on the table. Okay, okay, right there. I think we can jump ahead right here. Thank you, sir. You may leave. Would the defendant stand? Frank Donovan, you are charged with loving your money more than God. We have heard testimony from your money today and by your own suggestion from your givings. Mr. Donovan, do you own a Bible? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Had you looked at it more carefully, you would have realized that Jesus himself proclaimed the deceitfulness of the money that you so deeply loved. He also said that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love both God and money. It seems your choice is clear, Mr. Donovan. You are not who you claim to be a generous person. Therefore, I have no choice but to find you guilty. 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 Guilty, guilty, guilty. I think two words can summarize Frank's experience. Uh, one word is money. You know the expression, money talks. I bet Frank will never hear that word. Those, uh, that little phrase again in the same line, huh? Money does talk. In fact, though I won't read the text, James 5, 3. 
literally says that your use of money will testify against you. Strong words, strong words. Think about the voice of Frank's money. Pleasant, calming, encouraging. But there's that constant lie that keeps coming out. Frank, you're the boss. And some of us believe that lie as well, do we not? What does your money say? And what advice are we going after regarding our money? I know we're listening to our people who say this and that. But how many of us go to God? That's what this journey is all about. It's just literally going and saying, okay, Lord, I want your advice now. What do you want me to do with my money? What do you think is best for me? The second word is the word master. Master. Guilty. What a terrible charge. No one of us wants to hear the word one day, guilty. What what was he guilty of? What, What was Frank so guilty of? Was it... Was it the fact that he was a poor manager of his money? Was it the fact that he didn't give enough money away? I don't think that's the issue. That might be symptomatic. The real issue for Frank was idolatry. The idea is that it started at the heart. Nothing had happened in the heart of Frank. As we watch the next episodes, you may see something happen to his heart. Be interesting to watch. But I know this, it's the same with you and me. It's got to begin with the heart. And until it becomes a heart issue, we've not come to where we understand generosity. The story of David. Many of you know the story. He fell into grievous sin. And God told him he needed to make a sacrifice for his sin. His sin included adultery. Murder. And so he's told to go to a particular mountain and he goes to that mountain and he goes to buy the property so he could make a sacrifice. He goes to Arana and Arana says, you're King David. No, no, no. I give you my property and I'll give you all of the wood you need. I'll give you the animals for sacrifice, man. I'll give you everything you need. And then David's response is, no, I will pay you because I will give to the Lord nothing That cost me nothing. You could tell there was something in the heart. He could have said yes. But he says no. I want there to be sacrifice. And on that place. He made his sacrifice. Very interesting to learn. And most will agree. That that is the same property. Where Abraham. Long before. Held up a knife. Over his son Isaac. And was ready to take his own child's life. To make a sacrifice that God had called him to make. You and I know the story. God stopped him and said, no, no, no. And there in the thicket was a ram and that became the sacrifice. And there was the story of of an alternate sacrifice. And the picture of the gospel was already loud and clear. David makes his particular statement there. And it's a story of sacrifice. Hard, but important. And then to realize that it would be the next generation. Little would David have known that his son Solomon would build a temple on that very location. Most would agree. And sacrifice after sacrifice would come to that place. Only to realize that it would be well down the road that in that very area, 
the crucifixion of God's son would take place as the ultimate sacrifice. And there's the story, sacrifice. God's entire kingdom is based on sacrifice. The idea that God would make the ultimate sacrifice and he would ask us as followers, sacrifice. Watch the freedom that comes with sacrifice. But sacrifice will not come from the heart unless you've seen the cross of the great sacrifice. And when you see the Christ and his sacrifice, then something happens in the heart and generosity gets born. And you now no longer say, what's the bill that I owe? You say, where are the seeds I can sow, right? That's what happened on Calvary's cross. So that you and I can go on a journey, can see the love of Christ, can fall in love, become generous, and find freedom that we've been looking for. Hard to imagine. Seems complex, but it's pretty simple. Give, even as I've given to you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to go on this journey. And some of us want to say right now, I will go on the journey. If I haven't begun it already, I will go on the journey. And Lord, I pray you'd meet us in a special way. But may we see the heart touched. Take us to the cross of Christ. For those of us here that are not yours, may we see the cross. May we fall in love. For those of us that have come to know you, we love you. But Lord, the love needs to deepen. Let us go back to the cross. See your love. And may it cause generosity to be born in the heart. So that we might begin sowing seeds. To see the freedom that you long to see your children enjoy and to give sacrifices to you that so please your heart. Grant it through these weeks, we pray in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.